This week, we are going to be doing a podcast on uh, Bob Zemeckis' 2000 film, Castaway, which is actually two words, not one word. It's actually two words. It's cast away, starring essentially Tom Hanks and a volleyball. I thought we were doing Debbie Does Dallas this week. (laughs) You watched the wrong movie. Shit. Uh, honestly, that was a terrible joke. <laughs> that was, of course, from someone who does a lot better joke. That was a terrible joke. You can't win them all. Uh, I welcome, can always Peter. edit it out. Welcome, Doug. Uh, do you want to do uh, the brief summary? This is going to be an easy one to summarize. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can probably turn it into a ten-minute summary if you'd like. The ramble, please, please. <laughs> So, um, in this movie, this movie's about a guy who gets stranded on an island. That's the summary. (laughs) (laughs) That's pretty much it. Yeah. I mean, so Tom Hanks, he plays Chuck Noland, who's a FedEx executive of some type, kind of a, you know, an efficient guy, flies around the country a lot. Uh, He's got a a girlfriend he he proposes to um, right before he disappears onto the island. And, um, he he goes on one last trip. His plane crashes in a spectacular sequence, and he ends up marooned on a basically like an atoll, like this little tiny island. Um, and he's there for years. He finally ends up back in civilization. No one knew he was alive. Um, and then he has to. There's a brief uh, end um, sequence in the movie, or a series of scenes that um, deal with his having to come back to society when everyone else has assumed he was dead. Right. He's essentially gone for four years. That's right. So and we're the, doing uh, this. The, I, and I think we're summary. kind of partially doing this as a follow-up to Bob Zemeckis' 1997 Castaway, which we did last week. So I guess we're still in Bob um, Zemeckis contact. mode. Contact. Oh, last yeah, yeah. Week. Sorry. Contact. Yeah, yeah. Right, of course. And then, um, interestingly, by random chance, I watched Back to the Future – this week no. as well. So it's been kind of a Bob Zemeckis week. He's good, that guy. I mean, he really, you know, he makes, he's really a, a solid filmmaker. Yeah, and, really. and you know, his lesser films are really, really good to watch as well. You know, and yeah. it's interesting that he can sort of go from high drama to comedy, you know, like he's got some range in him. Yep. Um. Like so we got, both we both like this one. I I like know. this one uh, in a lot of ways, um, and I was also struck by this is three years after Contact, mm-hmm. um, and I was struck by how much better he got at sentiment. Mm-hmm. And like for example, in Contact, Ellie Arroway, you know, travels to Vega and beyond, and. You know, you're kind of unmoved by it, whereas uh, Chuck is on an island talking to a volleyball for four years, and it's hard not to be moved by it. It's entirely riveting, even when he's not talking to the volleyball. He's, I mean, it's this, it's one of the most sustained, um, riveting sequences when he's alone on the island, and there's no music, and there's no dialogue for most of it, and there no, they're really minimal if any special effects and um and it's completely riveting 
and it's done Just in a very it. realistic manner. Like yeah, I, I, I was as I was watching it, it, you know, you were I was sort of struck by how like, boy, this could be me. You know what I'm saying? Like, yep. You wonder how well you'd hold up on the island for for four years. You know, you might very well end up talking to the volleyball. Sure. You know, I mean, look, the essence of you can't really have drama unless you're identifying. Otherwise, it's not dramatic if you don't give a crap, you know. So the Tom Hanks is particularly good at being as enabling some a, a viewer to identify. Well, right, and he's sort of inherited the mantle of every man, I think, from Jimmy Stewart. Yep. Did you, by the way, did you get the joke about his name, Chuck Nolan? C no land. Uh oh. <laughs> <laughs> Um, you said I made a bad joke. I was. I guess technically Bob Zemeckis made that joke. That was uh, terrible. Right, but there's no way that's an accident. See no land. Um, yeah. Um, so I guess let's start from the beginning. Um, you know, in the beginning, you know, he's obsessed by, you know, the sort of the details of his job, which are ultimately revealed to be not particularly important for his life. Um, right. and you know, his relationship with the Helen Hunt character, um, is, you know, it's meant to be pretty healthy. Like they, you know, they come off as like, like a, like a good appropriate couple for each other. Right. I think they're really supposed to be right. Really in love, uh, legitimately sort of a real long-term relationship. And they're probably going to get married and live happily ever after. And they have sort of an easy, an easy mannerism around each other. Like they look relaxed um, I like the way that they make him kind of conspicuously pudgy. Yeah. You know, like like he's middle-aged and he's, you know, he's gained a pound or two the last 10 or 15 years and hadn't thought twice about it. And now he's in his mid-40s and he's, you know, he's 30 pounds overweight. Yep. Um, not for long. Not for long. <laughs> um, and... uh you know, they sort of conspicuously have him talking about his his bad tooth, mm-hmm. right, at the dinner. And the passage of – and he's obsessed with the passage of time to the second because, you know, with FedEx, they've got to get the packages there. And there's a lot of obsession with uh, how, the passage of time down to the second, just the, the clocks. And they have to reload those packages when they're in, they're in Russia. In Moscow, yeah. Yeah, and you know the the up until he gets on the plane, you know it's very quick. Like it, they don't spend yeah. a lot of minutes establishing everything. Like just you know in ten fifteen minutes, you kind of learn all you're going to learn about him before he gets on the plane, and then you know the events of the they, plane are fairly quick as well. So really, like they're not wasting any time in getting you to the island where the movie can essentially begin. No, they really move along, and that's really it's very well done. Even the camera is moving a lot. There's a lot of steady cam shots, following people around, following packages around. It's effectively done. It doesn't seem like um, even you know people will uh, will cite certain steady cam shots as as great shots, you know, like Scorsese, um, right. The kitchen shot and Goodfellas, the, Right. But even those, you're very kind of aware, you're aware of it being a steady cam shot, sort of like you, it, you, you're aware of the point of view more than the way he does it in this movie. It's sort of just unobtrusive to show you 
um, to, to pack as much information in to a short amount of time as possible. And there's also an emphasis on technology and communication and people around him. There's phones and pagers and airplanes and trucks, and he's surrounded right. by people constantly, all of which serves to emphasize his, his impending isolation when we actually see it. Right. And then we get to a really well-done plane crash scene, which is uh is pretty terrifying well you know and a plane crash is hard i think to do in a movie because it's very easy for it to look like they're on the plane set you know what i'm saying like when you watch like a Mm -hmm. sitcom and the characters take a plane ride like there's no sense that they're on a plane it just looks like they're on the plane set and i think a lot of movies that do plane crashes it just feels like they're on the set and this this is a very convincing crash. The only thing that's that I had a little trouble buying is that he's he's essentially uninjured. It's a little it's a little bit of a stretch that the plane goes down the ocean at high speed, breaks right. apart. And there's and no he explosion. Is, yeah, he's essentially unscathed, which is a little hard to believe. Like you know, the, like he wouldn't the have like, any broken bones. Too. The plane's halfway full of fuel, let's say, because it's halfway to Malaysia. Right, but they show the plane break in half. When it hits the water, know. you know, and there's a, there's a sort of Cameron Titanic esque scene of half the plane falling to the bottom, you know, below right. him in the water. So he, he's right, he, and he's not even strapped in. He, he's not hurt, but and I guess their sort of explanation is he was in the back, or he was well a little further back, perhaps. Which is it, he, that, again a small point. Right. I mean, he's not even strapped in because he's he's got his arm hanging onto the cargo net. You right. know, I mean, in reality, he would have he would have been dislodged from that and flown somewhere and gotten crushed and, and died. killed. Right, and been right, knocked but, out from the impact of the crash or something. Right, he would have he would have become a you know a puddle. That would but, have been weird if the movie ended right there. <laughs> <laughs> the end. <laughs> Tom, you know, Bob Zemeckis film starring Tom Hanks. <laughs> Refund. <laughs> but you know, like it made me think about other plane crash scenes, and like for example. Um, Sully. So, Sully is Sully is different though because you know you know you know that they live and Sully is more about the Correct. sort of the suspense of how they get down and the thought process in the cockpit. Whereas uh, to to go to another Bob Zemeckis movie, did you see Flight with Denzel Washington? Yes, but I don't remember. But that the well. crash scene in Flight is absolutely phenomenal. Like that might be the best crash scene ever filmed because it's it's long and it takes a it takes about eight or ten minutes to play out, and you really don't know how it's going to go. Um, and the other one that I think is really well done is: Did you ever see Fearless with Jeff Bridges? Yes. Which yeah, is, it's been a long time, but yeah. But in that movie, they don't show the crash till the end. Like the entire movie right. passes, and then at the very, very end, you see the crash. And the, and the thing about the crash and in, in Fearless is the plane comes apart when it hits the ground, and there's sort of a sense of the plane disintegrating around them and people being killed all around you. Yeah, it was super violent. I remember. Right. It's supposed to be based on, I believe that um, that United Flight Two Thirty Two. Fearless is based on that United Flight Two Thirty Two that went down in Iowa. Um, mm-hmm. But we digress. Um, and then, you know, he's, you know, uh, magically transported by the perfect ebb and flow of tides and currents to the island. Right. That night. 
too. He doesn't, you know, he's not not on the water that long. He right, ends and there's up on a this storm, right? And he sort of wakes up the morning after the storm on the beach. Mm-hmm. Uh, surrounded by packages which continue to arrive. Right. Um, and he does eventually he does eventually find the body of one of the other crewmen. Yeah, there's a pilot who he knew who washes up some days later. And the first days on the island, you know, the the thing they did well from the moment he lands is he he always acts in a in an intelligent, um, sympathetic, creative way when he's on the island. So then he's he's Robinson Crusoe, you know, when he, once he's on the island. But sort of, look, mo- I actually made some notes about Robinson Crusoe, which we can get back to. But yeah. He's I mean, the modern version, you know, right. but, but he, but he, he acts, he's intelligent, you know, he's sort of, so when he first gets there, he thinks I got a signal, I'm going to, you know, so he, he puts out a signal, you know, he, he, he lights makes, a uh, signal fire, you mean? he lights a signal fire, he, he spells out, uh, help, you know, help on the beach, uh, you know, that kind of stuff, because he figures like he's going to get rescued shortly. And then, um, which is, as, I think what most people would think. Right, right. He he acts consistently, sort of in, in, a, in an intelligent way, and in what you'd expect, uh, you, what, the way you'd imagine, if you had your wits about you, you would act if you were in that situation. And you know, they convey that he's hungry, that he's thirsty, that he's you know mm-hmm. he's probably getting sunburned. Mm-hmm. You know, like I think the scene where he struggles to start the fire is very mm-hmm. effective because you know it's one thing to talk about doing that, but I bet ninety nine percent of people present company included have never started a fire with a couple of sticks right and it's and, it's not easy he hurts himself and 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 you you participate in his his celebration when he finally does it and um that to me that that moment when he when he's lighting the fire it's sort of to that point, I'm fully engaged. You know, the movie. I'm 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 really fully into the story at that point. I'm it's, not. It's, there's no more distraction. And it, you know, it's the, when he lights the fire is also a, it's a transitional point in the film because it's the moment you realize that he's not going to die there in the sense that he can at least have some heat, perhaps cook something if he can catch it. You know, mm-hmm. like the fire buys you a lot of benefits. Right, he can keep right. bugs at bay. Like the fire, you can do all sorts of things with. Whereas, you know, when he, when he, you know, dislodges or shatters his tooth because he's got an abscess in it, mm-hmm. is also a transition point. Because you now you don't know that the movie's going to jump to four years later, but when he does it, it's really a sign that he realizes that help isn't coming. Like he's got to right. do it himself. He's got to handle this abscess tooth or he's going to get septic or something's going to happen. Yeah, they're both sort of steps in his progression of mastery of the skills uh, that he relearns, the, sort of the primitive ancient skills of humanity to exist uh, on their own or in nature without modern technology. And, you know, each one is a sort of a step that you, you take with him and that he, you know, he moves through. And the, the transition from, you know, him breaking his tooth apart to drain the abscess to, you know, him spearing the fish four years later, you know, the camera sort of lingers on him. You know, he's super tan, he's rail thin, you know, he spears the fish effortlessly and is unimpressed by the act. You know, like no. that that one sequence conveys a lot. And then he's sort of absentmindedly eating the raw fish. 
Yeah, and he he's got the thousand yards there, and he's you know clearly he's he's a full he's a master of his environment at that point, and he's clearly he has a routine that's been going on for years, and he's in, he's at sort of a steady state at that point, right? He's mastered it. He he's survived there. He can survive indefinitely, assuming no disaster. Right, or major, like, right, major illness or a terrible storm or something right. bad. And he talks about that later, of course, but, right, but he can, he clearly, you know, and he, and he's, he's grown a tremendous amount of hair, which Tom Hanks did over a year, apparently. Although that's uh, got to be a wig. There's no way you could grow that hair in a year. He grew There's at least no a lot of, he grew hair and beard. A, I'm you, sure they, you grow I'm about sure a they centimeter of hair a month. The right. average but person he, grows about a cent. So that's a wig for sure. Or it's extensions, but he grew, right, but, but he did but grow out hair and beer and lost 50 pounds. Oh, I, I, I'm not doubting he lost the weight. I'm just saying he's wearing a wig. <laughs> oh, I'm sure. It's probably, no, it's, they probably uh, spent, you know, multiple hours putting extensions in his, in his hair yeah. and his beard. I imagine um, whatever he had grown, they, they, and they had to dye it and, you know, I mean, to make it, it's all sun bleached. And I mean, he looks quite different. Well, and it's meant to jar you also, you know, it, sure. kind of, it kind of grounds you on the island because, you know, at this point, when you first see him four years later, hope of rescue is long gone. Right. And he's made it, he's adapted to that point. And, you know, you're still. He's in a steady state there. Right. And you're still, um, you're still completely uh, absorbed and then they fill you in a little bit because there's sort of a couple of flashbacks he talks about when as he's at that point there's more exposition as he talks to Wilson out loud you know the volleyball right, no, uh, no, that no. he names Wilson and there's more um, you know he describes how he had been he tried to kill himself you know by hanging himself right, well, uh, or he, from, or he from was thinking about it to the point that he tested it right he was he was going right, to do he, it he built, and then, a, he built a noose and hung a roughly man weight object from it to see would it right. hold. And it, and the, the the tree limb that it was wrapped around breaks, and he goes up so that you know. It, so basically, at that point, he finds the the makeshift sail, which is this piece of Two porta walls potty. Of a porta potty, right? He's saved <laughs> right. by a porta potty. Wait, can we before we get to that? I just want to. We're we're moving fast, but before we get to. Um, you know how he gets off the island, and I know that it's a central point in the movie. But but don't you think he would have opened that last package? Like, yeah, you hey, know, you know like, there's a there's a joke. Um, the, the do you FedEx know about there's a the, there's a FedEx commercial like a few years later where they make a joke, <laughs> right? And it's the a satellite guy, phone, right? It's hilarious. Like the Seats. guy shows up, right? The guy shows up and. Uh, to deliver the package and that, you know, it's at the end of the movie when he shows up, um, she's not there. Right. But in the, in the commercial, he shows up and, and, um, he's like, Hey, what was in the package anyway? And she's like, eh, it was nothing, just a satellite phone, uh, some seeds, <laughs> right. um, you know, emergency blanket, like stuff like <laughs> emergency, med- emergency <laughs> medical kit, you know, <laughs> and but, I mean, signal but, flares. but you know, he opens everything else. You right. know, and you'd imagine at some point, you know, in four years, he might be like, boy, I'd really like to know what's in that box. And he could even still deliver it, but he could just open it and look and see. He could have kept the box because he liked the drawing, you know, and 
because he used that drawing multiple on the times. Wing, yeah, right. He puts right. the he recreates the the drawing of the wings on the lone FedEx package. He doesn't open on the porta potty sale. The sale, and it's in the cave because he basically, you know, he revert, he's a true caveman. I mean, he's basically, uh, um, he's he's got cave drawings all over his cave and of Kelly. Kelly and, and I the like sale his, I like his makeshift calendar from where the sunrise hits on the rock wall. Right. It's another sign of mastery. But also, you know, like, but there's a lot of emphasis that, you know, he kind of loses it uh, in the sense, like, for example, when the when the porta potty walls wash ashore, like he's fearful, you know, mm-hmm. and he's extremely cautious in approaching the beach and he hides to see what it is, you know, so that he doesn't know what it is, you know, like he's afraid. And, you know, the scenes where he talks to Wilson are very effective because, you know, you could almost mentally hear Wilson's reply. Like Tom Hanks's dialogue is done in such a way that you know what Wilson is saying to him. Mm-hmm. And you could sort of you could sort of see how, yeah, on some level, he he doesn't feel like he knows that Wilson is a volleyball that he's stuffed some some stuff into to make it look like hair. But on another level, you know, Wilson is his de facto only companion who he relates to. Right. You know, in a childlike sort of, you know, in a childlike way. He's it reminded got this, me of a child with a stuffed animal. Right. It's a doll or, or an right. imaginary playmate or whatever. It's the same. Right. So Right. He, and, and, and if you push the child, the child will tell you, you know, a la Newt and Aliens, you know, it's it is just a, a stuffed animal or a plastic doll. But on some other level, like the child is able to fully relate to and, and you know, interact with the stuffed animal sure. or the doll. Right. Or right, it serves, Star Wars figures. <laughs> it's for some some geeks. That's still the case, right? It's. Mint, I mean, it's right. It serves a valuable card. purpose, <laughs> right? Um, and I, you know, like one of the most moving scenes in the entire movie is is when he loses Wilson. Yeah, you know, I mean, he he literally risks his life to and recover he's torn. Wilson. Right. He's and torn he, about whether to how much to risk. Right? Should he risk it all and go out, keep swimming after him, and l- potentially lose the raft and right, die, or, or have the raft drift so far away he can't catch it? Right. Or should he go get him? And he finally has to let Wilson go. And yeah, it's and then he he's absolutely beside himself, you know, with sobbing and weeping and miserable at that point because he feels like at that point and, he's and lost he feels absolutely terribly everything. guilty. Also, he's very yeah. he feels very guilty that he has kind of betrayed Wilson by you know, choosing to save himself. Yeah. You know, you also get the sense that he never tells anyone about Wilson. Yeah. You know, there's no mention of him, uh, you know, to any of the other characters. He doesn't talk about it. And maybe like he knows deep down, like, you know, if I tell people that this is what I was doing, talking to a volleyball for four years, Maybe they won't. Maybe that that'll be hard for people to accept. So I just won't mention it. It's also hard to imagine that he wouldn't be in therapy after this at some point. Well, the the movie changes tenor a lot when he gets back, and to me, it's the the only. Well, it's the only potentially really weaker point of the movie is is his return to civilization. Uh, it's funny that you say that. Actually, my favorite part of the movie is when he gets back. You think? Yeah, for me, it's a strong because it's 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 all the payoff. It's all the emotional payoff. I mean, um, it's no, funny, I know it's what really, you're saying. It's funny because but... I when we when you said, "Hey, let's watch Castaway," 
I immediately thought of the scene of him and Kelly in her house. Like to me, that's the movie right there, even more so than him on the island. I think that's a good scene, and I think there is some there's some things that are good. Um and and you know, his scene with Kelly is good, but I don't I think the the part on once the movie hits the island, it's uh, it's incredible. Cause I think that I felt like the his return to civilization was a little anticlimactic in some ways. Um, you know, he, they, they don't, I mean, one thing is to me, he doesn't, there's a leap because he's sort of, you know, four weeks pass from when he's picked up to when he's flying back to Memphis. Right. And yes, he looks thin, but he also sort of looks sort of smooth and tanned. And, um, he somehow doesn't, he looks too good somehow. And I, I know that time is. Um, I mean, you'd I know time his has skin had looked pretty rough. Yeah, I mean, I know time has passed, and I don't know how they could have fixed that because they don't need to go through this sort of stock exercise of him getting rushed into the emergency room. And all. I mean, I like that they abbreviated it, but yeah, I wonder if they should have see that. It's just under, and maybe this is after he's been in the hospital for a couple weeks. He definitely has, but somehow, you know, I wonder if they should have transitioned you maybe had him looking at an article on the plane that shows you know his a couple pictures of him in the hospital or something yeah. i mean that's one um, way to do it but on the other hand it's just faster to just skip it all i know but he's something about the way he looks in in, in other words you know the the physical transformation that he undergoes on the island is very jarring and is um is visceral and is, is part of the story and part of your response to his isolation on the Island. Right. But then when you gets back to land, to me, it, it's a little jarring again because he almost looks, yes, he's thin, but he looks too good. Yeah. Almost. I don't know. I, I was okay with it. Cause I, I figured he'd been in the hospital a few weeks, probably ate a lot of trays that they brought to him, you know, and now like he's ready to be discharged. And also there, they, there are nods to the fact that, He's clearly not over it. Like he can't sleep in a bed, right? Yeah. Like he has to sleep on the floor and sort of mimic the way that he looks at Kelly's picture, right? Like he, the bed is too soft. The bed is too comfortable yeah. for him. Um, and I like the way that he sort of like looks in astonishment at the banquet that they made for him. I mean, there's a sort of throwaway joke that there's sort of sushi and crab there, but the bigger, the bigger emphasis is, you know, like the, when the party is over, they leave behind a mountain of food that's you know is all going to be thrown away. That you know that would have sustained him for six months on that island, and right. he's sort of looking at this mountain of food, and he's it's very overwhelming for him. Specifically, there's crab legs. Right, that's he's what I mean. Eating. The crab legs and the sushi. In right, crab. Right, right, which is perfect, and the lighter. You know, which he, you know, he he looks at the lighter, and he also. The, the good thing they do is you can tell that he's never going to be the same because he has a sort of look in his eye that implies that he, he he's changed forever, obviously. Right, from, and he, he has, you know, he's gone through this ordeal and come out a different person. And, you know, and in many ways, you know, not a better person. Like, he's more thoughtful, but he's also lonely and alone. And, you know, he, as much as he wants to be with Kelly, he recognizes that they can't be together. Like, she married... Mr. Big from Sex in the City, you know, uh, Chris Noth. And, mm -hmm. you know, they have a kid. And the kid is intentionally shown to emphasize that 
her relationship with the Chris North character, you know, is is permanent. She can't right. just she can't just run back to him, right? right. It, would, it would ruin your perception of her, right? Because right. it would and make th- her into you know a bad person essentially for for leaving her her new husband, or maybe not even that new since they have a kid. But the good thing is she thinks about it, right? Because she gets in the car with him, and you get the sense that if he said, "All right, let's go," she might go, right? right. But the fact that she thinks about it makes her human. The fact that she doesn't go and that he doesn't let her go makes right. them both much, much more appealing characters. I don't know. Like, I, I again, that scene at the house, to me, and, and we're, we're getting a little ahead of ourselves, but that's hands down the best scene in the movie to me. The whole hmm. sequence at the house, you know, and, and you know, the fact that he is different. Sorry, he's different from the, you know, the Chuck Nolan that she knew before, like, He's sort of stiff around her. He's sort of wooden, you know, like he doesn't know how to act around this person that he used to have this, you know, incredible familiarity and physical comfort around. Like he doesn't know how to act around her. Well, and the other tortured. way that, like, for example, that he's comfortable just standing out in the rain now, you know, he's been out in the elements for four years. Like he doesn't even right. notice that it's pouring. Right. You know, and he's just walking around in the rain getting soaking wet because he's done that a thousand times. You know, whereas she's wearing much nicer clothes and when she gets wet, you know, he has to shelter her in the car quickly. But, you know, he like he doesn't seem to notice the water. Right. But and yeah, and and he but I think he's he's mostly uncomfortable because he's he's miserable because he just spent the last four or five years thinking about her constantly. Right. Thinking about this moment of being reunited. Right, and then she he comes back, and she's married and has a kid. She's married to his the guy who did a root canal on right. him. <laughs> you know, because uh, a couple of dentist tooth jokes, ref, right? Tooth reference, and, yeah. and the Wilson Spalding jokes too. Right, um, and again, you know the way that uh, Chris Noth plays the husband. You know, he's you know he's supposed to be stuck in the middle, and you get you know he's portrayed as like a decent guy who never anticipated being in this situation. You could imagine that, you know, he was the guy who was able to be with her after she lost him and was able to sort of, you know, she was probably very difficult and emotionally a wreck and he sort of stuck that out and now they're married. And there's right, also, he's... there's also, you know, direct talk about, you know, the, the sort of legacy and aftermath of, of the plane going down. Like she dropped out of her PhD program. All her plans kind of fell apart. Like, you know, implying too that, you know, the other people on the plane, their families went through similar tragedies and never got, you know, the benefit of them coming home again. But, you know, it's implied that she kind of, you know, she became a wreck for a while after the plane went down. And she's visibly more distraught than he is by his return. Right. And well, also, he always knew that she was alive. Right. Right. She didn't have that benefit. She says, that, I, I always knew you were alive, but, you know, and mentally she had written him off for dead. They had the funeral. Right. I actually, I don't actually, I, I thought that was a weak line, to be honest. Which um, line? When Nick Searcy says we had a funeral? No, when she says, no, no, no. When she says, I always knew you were alive. Oh, I, I think it's a little, it's a little Hollywoody. Yeah. It's, too, it's a weak line. It's, it's a, it's a, it's now that you mentioned that, that it was jarring in an otherwise very smooth movie that had very few jarring moments, but, um, 
But I, but I think also that the best line of the movie comes in the scene when he's at the house with her. Um, so, no, so, so far we've done my best scene. This is my best line. Okay. And the best line of the movie, I think, is when she says to him, you're the love of my life. And it's like the whole thing kind of comes to a head like, you know, you're the person I'm supposed to be with. But I can't, mm-hmm. you know, so she right. can at least tell him that this is how she feels deep down in her heart, even if she can't act on it in a lasting way beyond, you know, them having a brief physical reunion in the rain for just a few seconds. Like, you know, at, like at that moment, like, you know, his transformation is complete and he at least understands what he means to her, even if they can't be together. Right. Because maybe and it's he's right not after sure that. when he gets to the house. He's not sure what she's thinking. Right. And then after that, you know, he has that scene with um what's the his friend, right. you know, the uh, Nick Searcy, I forget the name right. of the character. And he he sort of gives it looks like they decided to add that in for exposition, but it, it but it's a very well done scene. Where anyway. the scene where he talks about I just had to keep breathing. Right. He's a scene where he describes their encounter. And that was right after that, I think, when she tells him that you're the love of my life. And then he leaves right. and he says, I had to, you know, I can't stay there. And I, it's just like now when I was on the island and I couldn't take it. And then I I was going to commit suicide. And then I decided I'm just going to have to try to stay alive and see if I get rescued at some point. And just I don't have any control. And, well, and the um, whole point of being rescued was to get back with her. Right. And so he says, you know, now he's back and he's lost her all over again and there's no more hope and he just has to keep going. And, you know, that that's it's well done. I just so what about this? So let's say they had done things differently and let's say it's a different let's say this was a little more of an art house movie. okay? and uh, you, you didn't have to. You didn't have to have the expected Judeo Christian ending, okay? which is what this movie kind of has. Right. Okay. So he goes back and he 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 sees her and it's super difficult just like before. But when she gets in the car with him, they drive off. <laughs> like right. let's say the graduate. Let's say, <laughs> That's the graduate end. <laughs> yeah. I mean, what if what if they, they go off together and then they're either fulfilled together, even though she Has just abandoned, abandoned her child. This, this this the poor you know schmuck husband and maybe the kid or maybe they're not maybe they're not fulfilled because they're both screwed up now or they or they've been changed by the intervening four years so much that they can't go back and be the people that they were or maybe you know they're the people they were but they're damaged by the whole by being torn apart and then coming back together and they can't live with with the tension of which way to turn you know does she stay with him or not does she whatever i mean I wonder, I, I, to me, it's not that this was bad, this ending, because I, I like that there's still some ambiguity well, we, in the ending that we'll, well get to. Well, there's a the lot end, of them. We haven't gotten to the coda scene. Right, um, right. Which is, which is purposefully and, and kind of overarchingly ambiguous. Right. And so, th- so that I, I do like. I do like the way it ends. But it still made me wonder. There's something about his return that makes me that felt a little anticlimactic and it, that's what i was wondering i was wondering what if they what if she drove off with them you know it, it's almost like um it's flawed you know it's it's not the it's not a an approved it's not stamped approved by the you know the mpaa you know 
it's not uh, it's a little messy, right? Yeah, so I but don't if, know. She, if she left with him, it, I don't think that it works. Because this movie is so grounded in reality, and they're portrayed as such good, decent people. And then you're going to ask the movie to believe, the moviegoer to believe that she's going to leave her kid and her husband, and he's going to let her do that. Hmm. I wonder. I mean, that's all he's lived for for years, right? Right. But again, now the reality of the truth has, like the truth of the reality, I mean, has set in. Right. No, it just it just made me wonder. It made me wonder about how they could have gone. You know, I mean, they could have invested, for example, the way they went is uh, it's a little ambiguous, but it's sort of it's on the uplifting side in a way. But they could have gone the way that, you know, that he, he they both got damaged by the event. Yeah, and I think that very much comes through. And it's in some weird way, she's almost worse off. Right. You know, well, they both are. They both are. They some, both are, know. but he's at least free to move forward, you know? Whereas, right. like, you wonder, like, is, is her marriage going to be strained? Is she, are they going to get a divorce down the road? Like, is this going to be something that they're not going to be able to, to work through? you know, that that she still has feelings for him. And I don't know. Like, it just makes you wonder. Right. Um, what's she going to think about at night laying in bed right, next exactly. to her husband? Or, or, and, or when she's intimate with her husband. Like, what's really going through her head? Right. Um, but then you have the coda scene, right? Then you have the big coda scene where he delivers the package at the literal and figurative, you know, fork in the road. Mm-hmm. Right. And he drops the package off and then he meets her and she is, you know, in, in the 38 seconds she's in the movie, she's presented as an extremely appealing person. Right. And he's you, clearly interested. Right. And who you learn, too, is, is, is you know, either divorced or separated because the sign on, on the ranch has been the guy's name has been taken off of it. And it's just her name, Bettina. Right, and they show at the beginning of the movie her husband who gets the package, who's basically, uh, he's a scumbag. Uh, they make him into a, a sort of a scumbag. He's cheating on her in Moscow. Um, right, but then, you know, does and he she, does he follow her directions and drive off into the sunset? Does he go back to her? And again, it's, I mean, I always feel like less is more, and it's better at least. I mean, I think that actually the coda scene is, is it's it's a little heavy-handed, but at least they don't attempt to resolve it. You know, she's just too right. perfect. She's too appealing with her dog and her sort of like rustic pickup truck. Like she's too perfect. Like you can imagine in that town, there'd be a line of guys after her. Well, the, yeah, I, I love the ambiguity that they, they leave in that, that conclusion because they just show him make a U-turn and then the movie ends. Right, and you have no idea where he's going to go. Like you'd like well, to think that you'd like to think that he goes back and knocks on the door and says, "Hey, I'm the guy who was on TV, right? And let me tell you my story about this package, and it leads to something." But maybe he just drives off. Like maybe he's so used to being alone, he doesn't know how to reach out to anybody anymore. It could be. I, I think it it's suggested that he goes back to her, but because doesn't she say like that way? There's nothing up to Canada. Yeah, well, she's yeah. They're supposed to be in 
you know, central or west, west Texas, Texas yeah. and, and she's but sort of I, making a joke about the Midwest. Right. But I think that she, I think that's the way he goes. So I think it's, it's implied that he goes back to her, but, but even so. I don't so, think they, so at all. I don't think anything's implied. I don't think you know at all what he does. Hmm. There's, could be. you could just as easily say he drives off. Could be. But even if, but even if he goes back to her, you don't know if it's going to work out or what's going to happen. I mean, he's still at an ambiguous place. So yeah, but and no that's okay. What. That's okay. Right, but you know they could have. And I mean, I can fully imagine that when they when they're doing the early cut of this movie, and um, you know the the other ex- when they started screening the movie for the execs, they started saying like he's got to get this other girl in the end. Like you're, this know, is but, you're not done but, yet, are but, you? But if he goes, <laughs> if he goes to the girl, that's it's boy, is that a disappointing ending? Oh, I know, but I'm saying like the studio, they hate ambiguity. They hate any ambiguity in that. They, <laughs> yeah, right. Well, I don't know. I mean, they let them make this. I mean, they let him not be with her. Do you know what I'm saying? Just the fact right. that they. They let her. Not, they let him and her not be together. Him and um, the Helen Hunt character. The fact that they're willing to pull that trigger, then it's just a small leap, you know, to him going off by himself. And again, she's she's too appealing and too perfect. Like you, the audience member, male or female, are supposed to be able to instantly recognize that she's incredibly desirable, right? Mm-hmm. But but maybe she's you know unreachable or untouchable or he can't reach out anymore. You know, doesn't mm-hmm. he have a volleyball in the car at the end? Mm-hmm. Right. So maybe you know maybe this is as far as he goes at least for a couple years. Yeah, it could be. But you know what I'm saying is, I I, I was kind of like, tempted to buy one of those volleyballs. By the way, after watching this, are you going to cut your hand and slap it on there? No, it's got Wilson on it. Have you seen it? You oh, can that's, buy it. I, you can buy it with Wilson on it already, with the with the hand, the bloody handprint on it. It's like the special edition Wilson, right? Exactly the nineteen. It's nineteen ninety five as opposed to sixteen ninety nine. You know. By the um, way, that's pretty damn clever. I know. I I I was literally thinking maybe I should buy one. I watched it. I watched it with my daughter, and she thought the movie was great. Um, uh, but you know, it, it also kind of makes you think about how like this is really a, like a genre in and of itself. Like I was sort of thinking about like, well, what other movies is this like, or what other books in this like? And you know, it's not a short list. You know, and and there's things that are like this or gear or variations of this. I mean, going all the way back to the 1700s to Robinson Crusoe, which you mentioned earlier. Right. Although, did you ever read Robinson Crusoe? Yeah. I mean, like long only a little ago, bit yeah. of it's on the island. Like he runs around on ships and other places, and like only a little piece of it is him on the island. You know, but that's kind of what gets remembered. But. Yeah. But it's funny, like when you actually read it, like he does all sorts of other stuff. It's sort of like, you know, if if, if Star Wars was only remembered, you know, for, I don't know, the cantina scene and everything else was forgotten. That's sort mm-hmm. of like the way we kind of remember Robinson Crusoe. Right. Well, it's and then, a big adventure story. You know, I mean, that's... right. And, and very much also like Swiss Family Robinson. Mm-hmm. Right. Or The Martian. Like, I thought I thought The Martian is basically a remake of Castaway with a lot more, you know, smarm. Mm-hmm. Right? And, and then, if you want to take it even further, right? Lost in Space. Right? 2001. And, 
Well, Lost in Space, <laughs> Gilligan's Island, right? Lost, the TV show. I mean, these are all variations on this theme, right? Let's take let's take modern people out of their normal environment and put them in an extreme isolation where there's some sort of fight for survival. Yeah, and you know, it's part of the bro- it's it's a cousin to the broader post-apocalyptic, you know, Omega Man for example, story also, right? <laughs> We've got to get away from Omega Man. <laughs> that thing so is how would like, you, it's like haunting us. <laughs> how would you compare this to Omega Man? <laughs> I don't know. Less chest hair. Um, um, <laughs> Less but, you know, like, but there's a lot of these. And I was thinking too, like with rare exceptions, right? You know, movies and books in this genre do well. Sure. Like, you know, I mean, everything we just listed basically was a hit. Yeah. You know, and whether it was done for seriousness or farce, you know, Gilligan's Island or Lost in Space, you know, like that's an appealing idea. You know, sure, to get right. away from it all, right? Get away from it all and the to Tahiti syndrome. Tahiti syndrome and and to you know, give up what all the, the modern um, modern technology causes uh, people to feel isolated or stressed or so get rid of all technology and see what's there. What, you know, what is, what's at my core, you know, I'm going to live this through somebody else doing that. You know, what do right. I have? If you take off all, you take away all the modern trappings, what's there. Right. What's left and who really are you when you take away everything and like for right. example you know he comes out of this you know a much more thoughtful guy but maybe not a happier guy like maybe maybe he would have been better off just you know not getting on that plane i mean he even says to her i should have never gotten it. on that plane but the implication is for all i've learned and all i've grown you know what i would have been happier just having my regular life with you Oh, I think he's he's for certain worse off, and he knows it, and that's why he says that. I wish I'd never got. I shouldn't have gotten on that plane. You know, and again, just I always have to mention some sort of random Star Trek thing. Um, <laughs> but you know, it reminds me in some ways of the Paradise Syndrome, right? The third season episode where Kirk becomes Native American, mm-hmm. right? And he marries, and you know, he 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 marries Maramani, and. She gets pregnant, and ultimately, at the end of the episode, she gets killed, and, and mm-hmm. he's left with this deep sense of loss for like, you know, he went through this experience, and and all this stuff comes to nothing, you know, and like he can't yep. stay in that world, like he was only able to stay in that world through a sort of, you know, an, an accident or a trick of things. But anyway, but they actually, by the way, in the Paradise Syndrome, they specifically mention and discuss the Tahiti Syndrome. By the way, that's what made me think <laughs> of it when you just said that. Actually, who said the Tahiti Syndrome? Was it you or me? But whatever, when I said yeah. that, or you said it, just made me think of the Paradise Syndrome. I always wondered if that obelisk was still there in California somewhere. But, we, but we're, we're really getting off topic here. <laughs> but anyway, but again, I guess my point is that this movie is part of a whole other genre of these essentially, you know, the sort of survivalist thing. I mean, have you ever watched Naked and Afraid? No, I've heard I mean, about it. But that's I haven't basically it. the same idea. Like, like sure. I've watched, I've watched a couple of seasons of Naked and Afraid, and it's the same idea. Like, what can you do when you've got nothing? And the gimmick in that show is they send them off into some horribly unpleasant environment, 
and they get to pick one or two things. Like they're allowed to take one or two objects with them. You know, like you can take a knife or you can take like, you know, a hat or, you know, a book of matches, but that's pretty much it. Does anybody take like, you know, a, like a, you know, a DVD player <laughs> and a solar paddle? <laughs> they don't take much. No, it's interesting. Like they just get a, a very limited number of things they can take with them. And I think they have to pick from a few things. Like I think the the show picks for them what they can take. I'm pretty sure. Anyway, if you've never seen it, it's a pretty good show. Um, mm. But you know, it, it. But that you know, that's directly descended from Robinson Crusoe and Swiss Family Robinson, just as much as Castaway or The Martian is. Right. You know, I want I wanted to make one point since we had talked. Um, last week about the two very clever Steadicam shots in contact, one of Jodie Foster running into the very large array office when they get the signal, uh, and the other one when she's a little girl sort of running to get the nitroglycerin, which actually turns out to be shot in the mirror. And there's mm-hmm. a similar shot in this when uh, when she's uh, she goes running to him out you know when in the rain in the rain there's a very similar shot of her sort of running to the camera and if it's not a steady cam shot it's something very very similar but it was it directly harkened back to uh, to contact for me but mm-hmm. I tell you this really really drove home though just to get back to something I said way at the beginning of the podcast you know how much better the emotion is handled in this movie than the emotion is handled in contact and how, and I, you know, this is the same word I used last time. Like Jodie Foster is so flinty, you know, mm-hmm. and like cool and distant. Like it's hard to like her. Like it's hard to yeah. want to hang out with Ellie Arroway in contact. Whereas like you wouldn't mind hanging out with Chuck Nolan, you know? Sure. And listening to him talk about his time on the Island. Much more so. And again, yeah. some of it has to do with the, the way that the, the, the movies are written. Some of it has to do with the, fa- the way that, you know, the, the actors deliver the lines and the way that the, the actors perceive their role in, in the film. But again, like, like watching this back-to-back with Contact, like Contact seems so much cooler and detached than this movie. And this movie is all about, you know, like loneliness and desire and fear, you know, and much, much more sort of like a relatable baser emotions you know you know you know she's worried about hydrogen times pi he's worried about starving to death right no you know uh, you're right that it's part of a genre but on the other hand it's done a little differently in some ways because you know this look this this is it's an adventure story right this movie it's it's an adventure story where um it's a journey where somebody, you know, they, they go, they have to survive. They go through something difficult and they return to normalcy or whatever civilization or whatever you want to call it. Right. And, or, um, but contrast it with, you know, most adventure movies you see now are like a superhero movie or, or something like that. And, you know, the adventure story involves, um, a ton of special effects, a lot of um, sound editing, a lot of music. Um, and that's just none of that stuff's present here. And even, you know, if they're going to do another similar thing in this genre, they they still dramatize it with all those trappings that this movie doesn't do. And, you know, and I think that's right. one and of the I, things I that make it so good. I think one of the most good. effective things that this movie doesn't do is it doesn't have a score. Like there's very, it actually does have a score, but the it's end. so minimal 
and and you barely hear it. And, and the whole time he's on the island, I don't think there's any music at all. There's zero. I mean, there's long stretches of silence except for some surf and wind. Right. I was going to say, like, this sort of ever-present sound of the waves that you sort of imagine that he doesn't even hear anymore. Right. And, I, you know, the music comes in really towards the end of the movie. It's really in the last act. Yeah. And it's to sort of emphasize his emotions of coming home. And it's just sort of an emotional um, string score. Yeah. But it's well done. Like you actually, yeah. like I was actually very aware of the the music and the in the the end of the movie. Like it kind of stayed with me. But again, it's good right. that they don't have uh, a lot of music when he's on the island. Like it's it's dramatic enough. You don't you don't yeah. need it. And the movie it feels like it has an epic feel to it to me. You know, it, it feels like a, a it's a fairly long movie. It's over two hours, but it feels really epic and feels really long, but not in a bad way. Not in a, you know, God, I can't wait till this thing's over. I felt like it went very fast. Like when I was watching again, I was watching with my daughter who'd never even heard of it. And, Mm. um, and it just, I felt like it went very, very fast. And like, we went from the Island, you know, to the four years later to him getting rescued very quickly. I don't mean it feel, but it feels epic. It feels weighty. It feels like um, he's been through a lot and you've been through a lot with him, right? It doesn't, I don't know, it just didn't feel, um, it didn't feel light or quick or, you know, a lot of adventure movies, they they fly along and then they just, they don't leave a trace. You don't feel like you've yeah. been through anything watching I, it. They're not, you know, there's no funny, real drama. And my daughter had never seen a movie like this and she's she was very, very moved by it. Like she really... I guess really dad knows something it. after all, right. huh? Yeah, that lasted about five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> you were lucky to get five minutes. Yeah. Um, by the way, before I forget, if you get a chance, you should really rewatch The Paradise Syndrome. It really holds up. <laughs> oh, that was a great one. I remember Right, it. but it's third season Star Trek. and There's and, some good ones. Oh, there's a lot of good ones. But, you yeah. know, it's funny because, like, it's, it's one of my it's one of my favorites. And most of my favorites are not from the third season. But, but boy, does the Paradise Syndrome hold up. And, and they pull the trigger, you know, much in the way that Castaway pulls the trigger and he doesn't get with Kelly. Like, Maramani dies at the end and she's pregnant. And, you know, mm-hmm. and Kirk, there's nothing he can do. Like, now that he's got his capacities back at the end, the prime director prevents him from saving her, even though maybe... You know, maybe they could, although McCoy kind of implies maybe not. But, you know, they pull the trigger and she dies. Anyway, yep. I don't want to get too far afield from Castaway. But uh, but if you get a chance, rewatch The Paradise Syndrome. It really holds up extremely well. Oh, yeah. That's one of the, one it's, of the good It's one of the highlights ones. of the third season. If, if not, one of the, it's not, it may not be one of the highlights of the original series, but it's one of the highlights of the third season. It's pretty up um, there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, any other thoughts on this? I'll just give my. Uh, oh wait, my oh yeah. Best. I, so I did. I did best scene and best line for what me. The best, best shot, shot. Best shot is is right after the four years when you see him standing skinny on the rock after he spears the fish because you know the the emphasis is on his his complete and total transformation there and the way that it conveys to you without a word what has happened in the four years. That's a great one. Yeah, I I thought. The best shot. Actually, I think you're right. I think that is the best shot. So I'm going to say what I thought because I didn't think of that 
but the best shot I had down was when he when he gets when he first climbs to the peak of the island after he's been there about two three days, uh-huh. and, and he looks over the peak and looks around all the way around, and it's the first time he gets a sense how big the island is or rather how small it is because it right. is really small and you the, it's a great shot and the camera kind of is craned over him and you can see the island and it rotates around with him as he looks and you really get the sense that he's isolated and it's also another it's a, it's another indication that he he's not going to be there just temporarily that he's going to be there for a while and also it emphasizes his distance from other land, you know, like, yep. like, you know, he's climbed he's as high as he can climb and he's looking into the far distance and there's just nothing. this tiny island that's mostly dominated by a mountain. <laughs> right. And that's a dangerous it. mountain. Right. And her and super scary uh, waves crashing into the, the ring, you know, the coral, the outer coral reef. When uh, before the uh, I think that. He has a little sailing certificate that you can see in one scene. Like before he gets in the plane when he's in the house, you see he's got some sort of like sailing certificate. So I guess that's he's <laughs> supposed to know something about how to handle a boat. Right. And I, I also I like the way, too, that you kind of feel like he's risking his life just trying to get over the reef. Yeah. He's awesome with a porta potty. That's his <laughs> real skill. I like the way, by the way, that the porta potty, the, 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 the wings literally fly away in the storm when he loses yeah. the sail. Like, like it's implied like the storm is so violent, like the wings are just hurled hundreds and hundreds of feet away and literally fly and he'll and never ever to be seen again. <laughs> uh, yeah. The only effects they use are just, they're very nicely done. They're not, nothing's heavy handed. Right. The plane crash, some of the water stuff. Yep. And the island um, too. The, the real island is, is somewhere. It's this island in Fiji. And they they just kind of partially edited it, I think. Um, I've looked at a few sites, and people have found it on Google Earth. Like you can apparently like look at the island and figure out like from Google Earth, like oh, this is the beach that he was standing on when he did this or when he did that. No, I think you could go to the island. I think you can go. It's somewhere in Fiji, and you could take like a little boat over there or something. Yeah, although you can imagine that. Chuck would never want to go again. Like if, if some news crew came to him and was like, Hey, could we, could you take us to the Island? He'd be like, no, uh, exactly. Although I do love that. He, that little bit that he carves in the rock, you know, Chuck Nolan here, yep. 1500 days, tell Kelly Frears in Memphis, Tennessee. I love her, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's, it's sort of like, it, it implies right before he makes the journey that he knows he may not make it. Yep. Right. He understands that he's risking his life to do this, but you know, he's, he's got to do it. Like he can't just die on the Island alone. Yeah, and he explains his logic, and once again, his logic is pretty much impeccable. Yeah, it, it's it's now or never. Good choice, definitely a good choice. Yeah, this, this yeah, it's funny because when you picked it, I was like, "Huh, I wouldn't have thought of that one for the podcast," but I'm glad you did. Yeah, it's a good one. Um, right. Should we wrap it up? Let's wrap it. All right, I, I'll I'll think of a movie for next week. I haven't quite picked one yet. Good. A good choice, and we'll be back next week, everybody. See you next week. Thanks. Thanks.